How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jack. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 33. Yeah, boy. Triple threat. We're making, yeah, triple threat, man. Triple, triple H. Yes. From your favourite television program. Yes, I do love me some pro wrestling. How are you, Jake? I'm pretty, I'm all right. We had a bit of a break week. We all kind of chilled out a little bit. I watched a lot of stuff. Um, I'm doing pretty well. You're keeping busy, though, I imagine. Yeah, it's a, it's a busy time uh, for me. Um, prepping busy, your film? Prepping my film, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's been hectic. I also did enjoy my break week. Uh, can say I honestly didn't do too much. I watched quite a bit. Oh, which, yeah, that's cool. Uh, that's so exciting. for this show, I did quite a lot. But um, do we just, both stock up on on programs to watch? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been definitely switching more to the TV bender side, but I did mm. watch a couple of films that I will be talking about. Oh, can um, you tell me some of those films? I can actually. Oh. So I actually watched. Look at that, uh, Branch. You trade in. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about one of the shows that I've been watching recently. Um, <laughs> that was really that, around that mic drag right there. <laughs> but um, speaking of the uh, Triple H wrestling joke you made, yeah. I have been watching a Netflix wrestling show. Uh, it's been getting, it got quite a bit of traction over the last couple of years. It's not I'm, fighting uh, with my family, is it? No, it's Glow. Oh, uh, yeah, you've been watching Glow. That's right. The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, a show with Alison Brie, I think is the... That's all you need to know. It's Alison Brie. Yeah, I mean, we've all heard to death Zeke's love for Alison Brie, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Um, so Alison, if you're, if you're listening, uh, I hope you, in, uh, sponsor I enjoy, us. I, yeah, sponsor us, please, <laughs> uh, get us a job. <laughs> we love you. We love we you. We do. We do. I love you since community. Um, but honestly, yeah, no, it's, it's a really kind of, at first I was a little like, I really enjoyed the pilot, but it, it felt like they were definitely going for a, a, a pitch perfect tone. Mm. Um, was it a, a, like a pilot pilot? Yeah, it was a pilot pilot. Okay, wow. Um, and yeah, no, it was it was a bit more. Um, I could see things that they tried to they they put in there to try and sell the idea of the show. Yep. Um, and basically, in a summary, I really feel like it is a more edgy, Pitch Perfect. So I mean, Pitch Perfect's only PG, PG thirteen. Pitch Perfect uh, is very accessible. Um, yeah, like very it. standard. I like Pitch it's people quite like those films, um, and I think Glow definitely could be fitting in that sort of category. But it feels more edgier. I think it's it's MA. It's a bit more full on. A bit more. Is more it swearing. like language? Yeah. Okay, okay. Swearing a little bit of nudity. You know, quite uh, a lot of sexual references and the fun, very the fun on. stuff in life. Grittier parts of Hollywood too. And um, honestly, it's I've really enjoyed it. I've just finished the second season, just going to the third season. There are three seasons out right that now. That one just came out eh? like a day ago, something like that. Yeah. Not, well, not just, long ago. Yeah. It wasn't long ago, and I've just started watching the third season. Um, I've just zoomed through the show in a week, um, and I've really been enjoying it. Uh, the performances are all really good, particularly uh, the leads of Alison Brie, and I'll get the other lady because I'm not going to go absent without her, but they have some amazing scenes like amazing like one-on-one sort of dialogue scenes like uh, arguments or mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah. so I'll, I'll set the premise for you there's not going to be too okay. much spoilers it's all in the pilot episode Jake. Yeah, okay okay cool. so uh alison brie has had an affair with uh so she's a struggling actress getting yep. no work only been in a couple of shows and she's had now within the first 20 minutes we establish her best friend who is a successful soap opera star mm. So not huge, but bigger, more well-off, has a steady career, yep. is a mother. But also we now 
discover that Alison Brie is having an affair with the husband oh, of okay. that character. Yeah. And it's very quickly established and revealed to uh, the other female lead, which I'll get that up right now. But yeah, and of course that leads to them completely fall out of friendship and it's sort of a a build-up back to rebuilding their friendship together. Okay, but, and that's like supplementary to all the wrestling stuff? Well, they both then fall into the show. So they both oh, okay. become a part of Glow through the director who has his own set of uh, story arc stuff. Yep. Um, it's just, yeah, it's... it's um, it's really cool. Like that's the one of the central plot lines. There are a couple of other ones going on, but it definitely has that sort of pitch perfect esque, um, like umbrella. You know how you have mm. the Anna Kendrick is the central, but there are other smaller. Yeah, things. but you have all the kind of supplements. Uh, Betty Gilpin, I think Betty it is okay. Gilpin or Gilpin, and then Mark Mar- uh, Mark Marin is Sam Sylvia, who's the director of the show and yep. another central character, and he's also really good in this. Like. There's there's definitely they've they've led that they've led the breadcrumbs for the Alison Brie sort of Mark mm-hmm. Maron romance, which I'm not sure if that happens in third season. Haven't got to it yet, but I would recommend this show. It's um it it, it could be at first unappealing to certain viewers due to it feeling like it has a very strong uh, feminist message right, to the yeah. point where definitely male. Uh, viewers might be discouraged by watching it, but I would encourage them to because the show, it's not about that, I don't think. It mm. never, has f- never felt like that to me. And I love, I love pro wrestling though, so I might be a buyer. So it kind of tickles your elbow there in a little bit. Yeah, well, it helps with that. But honestly, the writing's really good. They have some amazing scenes, particularly in the second season. Mm. Um, and it's just kind of likable. And the male characters are just as likable as some of the female characters. Um but yeah, it's a, a bit of a different show, and it was really the reason I started watching the show, Jake, is because I couldn't get through the third season of Thirteen Reasons Why, which we <laughs> tickled <laughs> which last we week. About. We'll probably touch on a small bit this week, and then by next week we're ready to just fully break down that. So hopefully I'll be able to. Catch... Yeah, we're, we're giving everyone another week to to watch it, fast spoilers, because you haven't finished it yet, Zeke. Yeah, you got like four episodes in. I got four episodes in, and right now I'm. I've messaged you already quite in detail to some of the things I'm already really frustrated about. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, I needed to watch something different and something honestly good because that's, right. that show's not good. And the second season had the saving grace of its cinematography, but it doesn't carry This season's very boring. Season so generically. Oh, it's in the, even the first four episodes. There was just nothing. That interesting. Cool. You're doing transitions between past and. I mean, I'll just touch on that. Like, they switch between a past and present. Oh, and yeah, they, and do, they have the aspect ratio changes in they, between, which yeah. is weird. And they, they try and be clever. They do, like, match cuts or slide cuts or, like, person in shot cuts. But they do that in the first season anyway, from time to time. Like, yeah. little clever transitions. And now it's. I don't know if it's smart or incredibly dumb, the aspect ratio thing. It's actually a good way of having. On on screen at all times, you can figure out which timeline you're in. I I but think it's distracting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna we're not gonna talk about it too much, but we will talk about this aspect ratio mm. thing because there was another show that I'd already watched the whole way through, but have rewatched just on the side because it's honestly it's in my opinion I think maybe the best show or one of the best shows of the last ten years. Okay, uh, Westworld. Mm. which I have talked about quite a bit on this show and even on Blue Velvet a long back time back, back in the day. But 
Um, in the second season, they actually do that aspect ratio thing, but they do it for a different reason. So okay. they do it when a host or one of the AI robot characters mm. connects with a server and they go into the server, which is actually okay. a computer-generated Westworld. It's and actually they, very similar to the film of the week we're going to talk about. Yes. In a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they change it to a the 16, the slim cinematic screen one. Yeah. Um, and it works, though, because you're, what you're doing there is you're actually transforming worlds. Yeah, so it as makes, opposed to timelines, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a past-present thing. It's a, no, no, you're literally in another world. Yeah. So having a different aspect ratio makes sense. It's more anim- anamorphic, um, that sort of, like, sleek, uh, with the, the black the black bar, 16 by 9, mm. sort of widescreen. Uh, was it 2.35, I think it is. I think, the, it, well, 16 by 9 is the full... Yeah, and then 2.35s, I'm pretty sure. The, I think so, that's the widest screen, um, all the black bars, you're right. Yeah. The, re- the thing with, the reason that 13 Reasons Wide, I mean, you, you made the perfect comparison. It feels like a Telltale game. Yeah, because that's what Telltale do. Yeah. Because, and... The and they're back in business now. The pick was that. You hear that? They're back oh, in business well, that's now. That's great, actually. Yeah. So you're trying to sneak video games onto a cinema show? I'm trying. So, um, Spyro. No, that's um, not. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, I didn't hear that. That's great. But even with my messages of the first four episodes, it felt like that, and it felt like their new introduced character feels like oh, the, uh, uh, Arnie. Arnie. And Arnie. there's nothing wrong with Arnie, but the way Arnie acts is literally like if we were in this world and we'd be like. Yeah, but we have this valuable piece of plot information that you don't know that's going to change your character traits. You almost want to see, and Clay will remember that in the fucking <laughs> corner. You do. You literally think, even the way they talk. And so I, and I, true, yeah. Like some of the interactions, she's just be like, she draws a conclusion because us as the audience have drawn that conclusion. She says exactly what us and the audience in that moment are thinking. Well, at least how the the stupidified version of the audience. Yeah, yeah. It's like even from the first four episodes, you can see each episode is centered around like one character is the prime suspect in yeah. who mur- which Murder I mean, Bryce. they've done that the whole series. So yeah, it's like each episode's kind of a focal, a point. character, a character focus study. Yeah, of whether uh, it's the tape or the trial or or the suspect in this case. Yes, and. One, maybe this is the case of this formula has been repeated too many times. There is no saving grace. Uh, and two, yeah, it honestly, this one treats the audience way more stupid because when you're in episode three, you know you're not going to find out who the fucking murderer is. So That's true. So, like, you you kind of start listing off in your head, like, okay, well, it can't be such and such character. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they've already, we've passed their point yeah. in the story. But, the fact um, of the matter is, in the first season... The tapes made sense as a episodic way of doing it. It's yeah. perfect. Even if it was a bit drawn out, but you're right. It's a good plot device to keep it structured yeah. that way. Well, it was more the case of characters really had no justification for their actions. That was the frustrating part. The second season takes that one step further where it's like having an, a character be on trial each episode. Um, it just kind of, gets, it yeah. kind of worked. It worked better than this third season where it feels like it I think just... I think all bets are off in this one because they're trying they're, they're strained so far away from the source material, the book and that. Yeah. That it just it feels like the writers have less of a sense of basis to ground this story in but structurally. What does so... that say about their writing ability? Oh, it says something very apparent. It's, it's simply not the, the, it's the not fact, clean. Well, the fact of the matter is, I the argument can be made is how good are writers if they need a source material to write their film. 
Well, I mean, isn't this the whole case with Game of Thrones? Is once it lost its source material, once it drew past that, the show's writing got worse and worse. I mean, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but that's what I've heard. Well, it's a, it's a mixture because the problem with Game of Thrones was they had a set time to wrap everything up to. Yeah. The HBO was ready to move on, move on to the next lot of investments yeah. opportunities. I'm and glad that's... they decided to end it there, but... You know, we saw how it go, I guess. Yeah, but it's uh, the thing with, for example, we take a show that we both love, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and they didn't know they were getting their, f- technically their fifth season, fifth and sixth season. Which is why season four ends sort of conclusively, yeah. but not at the same time. Yeah, and enough to be like, if the show ended, it we'd be, we would be fine with it in a lot yeah. of ways. Because you still get that revelation of what Walt does with the Lily of the Valley and and, you know, and I'm spoiling it because it's been out for a while, but, you know, Gus is dead at this point. Yeah. You have a few little traces of, like, oh, what happened to Mike? And, of course, season five gives us more Mike and exactly. stuff. Exactly. But for, you're right. For the most part, they actually wrapped it up pretty well. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing with Game of Thrones was always going to be this problem where no matter what happened, we'd be disappointed simply because of things like pacing, yeah. the way the show is paced to in the same way Breaking Bad is paced where episodes go by and very minor, minuscule things happen. So when something big happens, it mm. feels like... You feel that jump. Fuck. But then it's also clever because the little things tend to lead eventually down the story anyway. Yeah, yeah. but it's but it's a, lo- it's a lot of faith on the audience to allow that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, to like, keep rolling with it. The reason why a show like um, Westworld works in such a short period of time, because there's only 20 episodes of mm. two seasons... Um, is because uh, something happens at the end of every episode hmm. that keeps you wanting to watch the next one. It's a different sort of form, I guess, formula style, where it's like things, but there's enough action in each episode to allow, especially in the first season, where uh, I don't want to spoil it because I really do want you to watch the yeah, show. Yeah, don't spoil it for me. Um, it can be one of the ones I owe you now after Bojack. Yes. Uh, because. <laughs> There's a there's a character called William and he goes through the park experience much like us if we were to do the park what the park would be like okay yeah and so that adventure as one of the other characters who is a host is starting to discover consciousness mm. or you th- perceive consciousness um, that leaves us guessing more and more and more and wanting to see what happens next more and more Mm. while intercutting with other stuff that's going on behind the scenes. That's intriguing too. Yeah. Like there's so much intrigue in, especially the first season, whereas the second season answering a lot of the questions. And now there's going to be a third season and I'm polls in that season. Yeah. I he might be, if he is, I'm going to be very, I think that's the one that he got announced for a third season of something. Um, I think it was Westworld. So yeah, it, I think it's it's interesting, but this that show I'm up to the fourth episode. I don't know how far more I'm gonna get. Yeah. But yeah. Not not too excited about it to be honest. But well, what about you? Did you what else you have you another call? week for that? Um Yeah, so I've I have watched a lot in the last week. I'll just gloss over it quickly because I mean we we'll probably do an episode on this in the future. Are we are we yeah. I re watched the founder the other day. I saw your snap. Oh yeah, I did a Snapchat. Snap yeah, <laughs> I want to do. Face. I really do want to do an episode on the. Founder. We can do an episode on the founder, but um, I do. I do love that film, and I re- I watched it for like the third or fourth time. I think I was watching. I was watching it with Mel, and it was like the first time she saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she really liked it as well. But you know, you can't go wrong with Michael Keaton. And I referenced it the other week when I was talking about Good Night and Good Luck, mm-hmm. and how even though both those films kind of take place in similar 
eras, like anywhere between... When does Good Night and Good Luck taste? Is that the 50s? 55. There you go. So very, very similar timelines. But with that film, it very much feels like it was shot in that time. With this film with the founder, even though the production design's awesome, like the cars and the style of the buildings and everything, it all feels authentic, but you can still tell the film is shot contemporary. It was shot in like 2015 or whatever it was. Um, But I do like like it because it's got the editing pace for it. That film could not work in black and white, though. Yeah, no. You want the vibrant colors you because want, Ma- McDonald's meant to be attractive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I like golden arches. Uh, I love it. It makes me want to eat a burger every time I, I watch that. So film. bad, right? It's very bad, <laughs> but um, it's great. We will do an episode in that one week. I, I imagine. Yeah, I, sure. I remember watching that film. Oh, that was one of those films. There was like four or five of them I watched right at the end of last year that led uh, to me wanting to do a three sixty five. That you wish you could include in this challenge. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of them. It was like Boxing Day. I watched it, and I was just like. That's the kind of movie I like because it it's it's fun, it's interesting, and it just keeps you there the whole way through. Mm. And it doesn't slow down. It's a solid like four star film, you know. Yeah. It's it's not like blow your mind like out of this world, yeah, but at the but same it's time, effective. it's very effective. It does the job, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I really like that of like four star film. Like you're right, yeah. it's not. It's not like the social network. If you want yeah. to compare it to like another film that looks into the creation of an empire in that way. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's still very effective in what it does. I have a love-hate re- relationship with the editing as well. Like, I think it's very well edited, mm-hmm. but then there's certain scenes I'm like, ooh, it's all too fast, all too choppy for my taste. Okay. But um, I, I mean, I love the film. We, we will talk about it at one point. Yeah, I think so. Because That's I definitely our future episode. Yeah. It'll be a sneaky one. Maybe, maybe before Super Size Me 2 comes out. Ooh, that's <laughs> that's a very interesting. Super Size Me too, though. We have to do an episode. Does that come out this year? I don't know. I can check that right now for you. I might do some fact checking while I talk about another film I watched. So I watched a couple of films um, for the first time that I really should have watched a long time ago. I'll start with Jaws. I watched. I finally watched Jaws for the first no, time nope. ever. Now uh, I can't say the same for another film we're going to talk about later in the show. Uh, where I just kind of just watched this on the TV and I was, you know, I didn't get the great holy experience from it. But I really, really like Jaws. You know, I mean, there's nothing I could say about Jaws that hasn't already been said, I imagine. Uh, if I can just quickly interject, Jack. Absolutely. Super Size Me 2 came out in 2017, according to Google. What? Which is a little confusing. That's conv- we only just saw a trailer for it. Perhaps it started its festival run at that point. Was it shot in... Wait, I'm so confused. But now I've got Rotten Tomatoes saying it's 2019. So this is very confusing. How elaborate. We'll have to do some additional research. This is, this is insane. Mm-hmm. What's going on here, guys? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so it's got 2019. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we will have to have to do a little bit more research on Absolutely. that one. We're going to get a team of scientists on this. Yeah, so like I said, there's nothing I can say about Jaws that hasn't already been said. But um, just watching, I could just tell immediately that I I get that I get why this is the explosive summer blockbuster film, and it really is the ultimate like, I think it's a prototypical summer blockbuster mm-hmm. they call it. And obviously you have Star Wars two years later that really boosted that, but Jaws was the first like high concept premised sort of film to have a real return at the box office. What a what a fascinating time in nineteen seventy five. Well, yeah, even just the yeah seventy five to seventy seven having mm. those two. Good mates pull out two of the biggest yeah, films of all true. time. It's, it's true. pretty uh pretty hectic to think about that. I mean, 
there's got to be something there with their friendship. Yeah. Surely there's some idea. Imagine those dinner conversations. Well, exactly. In 74, 70, uh, 76, you know. That yeah, you know, like, and uh, I think uh, before even uh, Lucas did Star Wars, he did American Graffiti. Mm, and that was a big one. I, it was definitely not Jaws level big, but I never seen American Graffiti. I saw it a couple of years ago, but I cannot say I remember too much of it. It's got oh, Harrison okay. Ford in it, though. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because I think he sat in graffiti on Graffiti in 73. Ah, there you go. I know Harrison Ford sat in on Star Wars auditions and kind of how I sat in for the Hitched auditions almost. And that's how Harrison Ford got the role of Han Solo. Really? Yeah, it was literally what I did for you guys in that same thing. So I'm not saying I'm the next Harrison Ford, but I could be. Sounds like you're alluding to it. Oh, I'm not not alluding. No, what are you talking about? It would have been very interesting (laughs) to have Lucas do graffiti and then just have Spielberg be like, I have this idea. Yeah. What, him pitching to Spielberg? Yeah, both of them just back and forth. Imagine, yeah, like, exactly. yeah, like you said, the, the dinner, dinner conversation. That would be beautiful. Um, Jaws, one of those tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Jaws uh, was a, had a $9 million budget, and it famously went over budget. Like, the whole thing with the, the practical shark mm. was always falling apart and stuff. Made $470 million in return. That's So that's insane. Insane when you think about... The time error as well. Time error. Yeah. If a movie makes $470 million now, it's considered a commercial success. Easily, yeah. Well, unless you're like Warner Brothers overhatching your bets, but if, say, for example, Joker made that money, yeah. you're right, it would be a financial success. Yeah, it's gonna make more than that. I will. I mean, the hype for Joker's got gone through the roof, ridiculous. Like, perfect I mean, scores everywhere. Get yeah, rid of that embargo, boys. Eight, eight <laughs> minute standing ovation at mm. Venice Film Festival. It's funny. I've read, I've read a lot, obviously a lot of positive reviews, mm-hmm. a lot of positive reviews coming through. I've read a couple of the negative reviews, and pretty much all the negative reviews are like, it's really gritty and dark and eerie. <laughs> that's pretty much that's like, that's like my summary of it. Like I'm not, I'm not disparaging those reviewers, but they just sound so angry when they write about this film. Yeah, because I'm like, way. there's clearly some sort of. There's always there's done. always an agenda. I know we've yeah. talked about Tarantino a lot in the last couple of weeks, but that's mm. definitely been a thing that he's suffered with quite a bit with his like his violence in his films. He often gets yeah. negative reviews more out of the foundation of it's too violent. Exactly. And it's like, it well, treat- you want to do any more research in why it's violent maybe, you know? Yeah. Like uh it's it's a, it's annoying, but I guess yeah. there is almost this anti-culture between if you're not allowed to like something because everyone else likes it. Yeah, too, which... a little hipster phase sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. I don't know. I mean, no. I could definitely see people not liking it for the reasons it goes for. And I feel like a lot of... The, I actually feel this is going to... Not not Last Jedi divisive, but I feel the general audience are going to find this divisive because I feel like it's not very Batman-orientated. I love the fact that it's not Batman. I don't think of Batman or traditional Joker when I watch these trailers. Well, I, th- I think... And you we, we had a conversation with Over Messenger the other day mm. where... I, I was a great chat. Quite frankly, the three best films that have come out of this quote unquote superhero genre, genre yeah. are inexplicitly not superhero films. Right. That being potentially this film, Logan, and Dark Knight. Yeah. And honestly, in my opinion, either Batman Begins or Dark Knight Rises can fall not too far behind either of those. Yeah, no, I mean, they're almost underrated, both I, those films I in think a lot so, of ways. too. I think Rises particularly gets a bad rap, and it shouldn't. Oh, yeah. Um, People too picky on Rises. I think so. I think Tom Hardy did a great job as Bane. Mm. And, I mean, I, no I agree that Liam Neeson is probably the, the weakest mask. of the three villains out of all 
the three he's films. He's the most forgettable, for sure. But, but that's just his place in the story. Yeah, but I also think they do a pretty good job with Scarecrow as, like, a supplementary mm. character in that in that film. So I guess he is the, the only thing. Second, the only yeah. thing I don't really like about Batman Begins is, honestly, Katie Holmes, who's not nearly as good as Maggie Gyllenhaal. And she got replaced... Oh, I forget that. Jake's sister, yeah? Yeah. I for- always forget that. She's yeah. great. She's a million times better. And, and, and they and, kill her off. And they blow the, her That's up. the other annoying thing. <laughs> I, the, always thing. The other annoying thing about Dark Knight is everyone forgets how good Aaron Eckhart is in that film. Oh, my God. As he's, brilliant. Dent. he's brilliant. You know. Uh, he's in Sully as well. Have you yeah, seen Sully? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sully's one of those films I'm a bit meh on, to be honest. But, like, I don't... I think that film is trying to be more tense than what it actually is. I don't know. It's not my favourite Eastwood. Oh, uh, Sully? Yeah. I was very thrown off by the narrative structure, how it goes back and forth, back yeah. and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was... That threw me off. I feel like, feel like it's in the same category as, ironically, another Tom Hanks film, Captain Phillips. They both kind of... Never fit, seen it. They fit very like, oh, we're trying to be really dramatic about something that was probably pretty traumatic. But, but isn't it just, it him being a hero? Same kind of yeah. arc? Yeah, fair enough. They just They don't do it for me either of those films at all. That's um, fair. But, however, yeah, I think people forget that. And then Logan, which we've I've talked about. I think totally a, a Western ago. more than a superhero film. Yeah, and then this film, from every trailer... I don't think a film has made people that excited from a trailer for a very long time. Like Fucking good trailer, like, that's the thing. And I'm not talking about... See, it's easy to get excited about an Endgame trailer yeah, because yeah. it's Endgame. It's, because hey, it's all the mystery and hype. Congratulations, about. you watched 21 films and this is your reward. <laughs> and then same thing with the Star Wars one. There's always going to be excitement around a Star Wars that trailer. That trailer was bad. Because it's the a one tra- they just put it's, out. Yeah, it's just yeah. a trailer. It's like... You, but, the thing is, if we're talking about the fundamental point of a trailer, which is I'm trying to sell my film to you without telling you what Too the film's much about, about it, yeah. create enough intrigue so you buy a ticket, come sit down in my theatre and watch my movie, things like Endgame are already going to put butts in seats. Yeah, you know? exactly. And those Star trailers Wars. can get away with being vague as hell. Star Wars yeah. has something to live up to now. Yeah. As much as I love Last Jedi, I know what it did to the fan base, and I know that people don't care about this. Not just that, film. follow it up with Solo, and then... Oh, my like, God, and Solo the... is really fucking bad. I can tell yeah. you that. <laughs> so, that's the thing. It's like this trailer legitimately creates excitement. Mm. For and Joker. Yes, yeah. for Joker. It's it, it, But it doesn't tell us... We have no clue what the film's about, mm. but we still want to see the film. So it's actually fundamentally achieving the role of what a traditional trailer did. Yeah, exactly. Which is, let me tell you about this. Trailers underwent a really bad shift in the 90s and early 2000s, which... You don't tell placed... me the trailer where the death of the Incredible Hulk shows in the trailer, the death of the Incredible Hulk, was yeah. a bad time for trailers. <laughs> uh, Incredible Hulk, that's uh, 2004, right? No, 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 no. This is, like the cla- this is like the movies they did after the TV show. Oh, okay. With the, um, the classic... Um, is that Ed Norton's one? No, Ed Norton's. Eric Banner. Eric Banner, yeah. Well, the, the, the name of the character was Eric instead of Bruce at the time. Yeah. Um, But it was, yeah, going way back before... Actually, yeah, you're right. Eric is the name of the yeah. actor in the 2003. Wow, that's trippy. That but no, I'm talking about like the original where they had two different actors play Bruce or Eric mm-hmm. and then the Hulk. And they did really show the Hulk dying in the trailer. <laughs> it's even like, and then to, also uh, late 90s, early 2000s, which actually plays into the film uh, that oh, we're yeah. going to talk about we're later talk in about the week, yeah. reveal so much and they all had overhead narration. Of normally a character that's not even in the film. One man. Yeah. And it's like... Has to take on the world. It, watch watch a trailer from the 80s. Like, watch the Back to the Future trailer. 
Mm, I've never seen it actually. The it's back, good. The trailer. Not the, I've seen the movie. Them. Watch all three of them. Watch yeah. back. I, I I remember as a younger child on VHS, the Back to the Future three trailer was the one I remember watching ah. the most. Well, that trailer's in Back to the Future two. It's literally in the movie. It is. Yes. That's where I remember it from, probably, because I, I, I think Back to the Future 2 is my favourite of the three. Wow. Yeah. Fair enough. we got to do Back to the Future episode, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're going to do the whole trilogy, man. Uh, back to back to back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Um, I love Back to the Future. But that's probably where I remember seeing it the most. But, yeah, it's in the movie. It's insane. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No. Uh, I'm it, happy to go back to Jaws, because uh, we got a little sidetracked We got a little sidetracked there. Nah, Still but, talking uh, about movies. Well, we're talking about you know, the, the, the big box office returns and openings, and this is where it all kind of started with Jaws. Um, and I could see, you know, that I, it's very masterfully shot and directed mm-hmm. and edited, and the the use of cameras always on point, and it just it grabs you from the start. I was always into it, and the fact, I mean, everyone knows this: the shark doesn't appear till like eighty one minutes in the film. I loved every minute of those eighty one minutes before the shark even came up. What was your highlight of this? What's the one thing that you take away that you go, "That is why this film is great." I've got two versions to answer your question okay. with because I do have like my highlight scenes for Jaws, if you will, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not the reason why it was so big. I think I think it's just the film nails the sense of like tension and fear, mm-hmm. the whole thing, and I can understand it. I even like I will probably subconsciously think about this movie now when I go for a swim. The fact that people walk out of this movie and are terrified to go to the beach, and it still holds it. It's like the way The Exorcist had that effect. On oh, yeah, people Exorcist. like just prior to this film, actually, it was like a year or two before this film came out that Exorcist came out. And this film, I'm not saying it's a scary film, but it is a scary film mm. in that sense. And I think they just nailed the tension with the shark and everything. I mean, my personal favorite scenes, my takeaways were the way quieter scenes. You know, the scene when um, it's the two guys in the boat and they're like comparing their scars and they're like <laughs> rolling up the sleeves and stuff. That stuff I loved. I loved all that back and forth, the way it was shot, the way they performed those scenes. The son replicating the father's, like, when he's putting his hands over his face and mm. he's like, and then the son replicates all these actions. It's kind of the responsibility he now has for the town mm. is represented for his son. These quieter moments I actually really loved. Okay. On top of the great, grandiose shark explosions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I love Jaws. And the thing I always took away, because I remember seeing this film called Jewel, which is a uh, like 70, 1971 TV film, and it's basically just Jaws, but with a truck. And I watched, I think I watched it in school. It was, a, it was this guy's getting hounded by this truck that for the entire movie is just chasing him, and eventually he like the truck rolls over. He never finds out who's driving the truck. And it's a fascinating film. I watched it in primary school or high it's school. Still weird. But I found out that was also directed by Spielberg. Oh a really? Few, yeah, a few years before Jaws, and that was an almost direct inspiration that he now admits what a, what like a yeah. paranoid man always thinking something's <laughs> chasing him i know he's like he's always on the move have you here's me i actually sat down and thought about this in terms of Spiel, spielberg films because i always thought like oh i don't think i've actually seen a lot of his films mm-hmm. then i started actually looking because there's a big thing of like what he produced versus what he actually yeah. directed and i was shocked i was like i've seen jaws jurassic park tintin everyone loves tintin surely um, you know, Jewel, all the indie films, of course. He directed all four of them. That kind of surprised me. I didn't know that. Um, have you seen all of those? Maybe not Jewel. But what, Indiana Jones? Like Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park. Everything you just listed, yes, bar Jewel. Okay, cool. Well, that's I like a TV just watched movie. Jurassic Park too. Yeah, yeah, you were talking um, about a few months ago? Damn, that's a good movie. Oh, it's really good. It's, it's, it's I, I talked about it on the show, but it doesn't waste a frame. 
Something mm. about his earlier Neither work, Jaws, he yeah. uses 90 minutes and he uses ni- all 90. Mm. And, but he do- not a single wasted moment. Everything there is there for a reason, which a lot of people would acknowledge now he has completely lost that ability. I haven't seen his recent stuff. But so. You don't want to see his yeah, recent exactly, stuff. Yeah, exactly, you know. You so know, that's... and Lucas is the same. I mean, they're both... They're both used to use everything that they get mm. but it's it's a consistent problem it's that thing that money makes poor decisions because it makes yeah. decisions easier you don't have to think about it as much well, there's right. no there's no creative limitation thus limitations are created mm. so it's i know i've heard that phrase before but i like the way you just put it okay well that's a common phrase short a, yeah or do it's you... a fortune cookie uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well speaking of films that don't waste a frame, in my opinion. So I watched Muriel's Wedding for the first time. So is this an old film? This is 1994. Okay. 1994 was insane, dude. It's a good year. How many movies came out of those? Excellent. Masterpieces. Se- was 794? Sorry? Was 794? Was it 95? Uh, that was, I think it was Usual later. Usual Suspects was 94. Very nice. And like Pulp Fiction, Lion King, that was all 94. I think Shawshank was 94. 93. Ah, oh, well, there you go. Forrest Gump, for sure, was 94. 93. Oh, oh god damn it. I thought I was I thought I was getting good at this. <laughs> Fun fact, uh Forrest Gump and Philadelphia were the back to back winnings for Tom Hank. Hanks. Ah, well there you go. Yeah. Fun fact for you. He's the yeah. only person in Oscar history to win best actor back to back years. Really? Yeah. That's a little shocking to me. I guess Emmy like in Emmys you've got like Brian Cranston and stuff like that. Yeah. Did um buddy Sir Anthony Hopkins win two thousand in a row? No. No? Literally damn. the only one in history. Can't wait for that to be factually proven wrong. But, <laughs> uh, Jesse, get on it. Um, well, speaking of Jesse, he's actually kind of the reason I ended up watching Muriel's Wedding because he just started a new podcast called The Pool Room. So I think he's he wants to talk a bit more about it the next time he's on this show, which you'll probably find in the next few weeks when that's going to happen. But uh, it's a new podcast that he and his friend Lachlan have put together. So if you want to check out that show, it is also on Spotify. Why is it called The Pool Room? Uh, I think it's a reference to The Castle because I think the their... Their, with their show... Nice. Uh, <laughs> their show is Down strictly... a couple of them jousting sticks. Their show is strictly Australian films. So the, while we kind of branch out and do like literally anything we can think of, I think theirs is strictly Australian films. And that's why they started with Muriel's Wedding, I which is an Australian film. I really want to do The Castle with you, Jake. We could do The Castle. And they're doing a do screening it. at Inaloo in a couple of weeks. We, oh, yeah! Is that the one we saw? Yeah. Nice. we got to do that. We'll yeah. do that. Yeah. Because um, that is a fair dinkum film. So this film, Australian film, Muriel's Wedding, shot in, well, made in 1994 with um, Tony Collette. And I think this was like her breakout film, I imagine. So she plays Tony Collette doing an indie film? What? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I started watching this because I wanted to listen to their podcast. That's their first episode. And from the very first shot, I was blown away. This actually does feel like a Spielberg film in terms of its precision. And we just talked about how not a frame is wasted. I I honestly felt this way with this film as well. It's really well put together. The actual kind of coming of age story behind it is actually like really touching. And they have this whole thing with ABBA. Muriel's favorite band is ABBA. And they had like unlimited access to ABBA music. So it's just played throughout the whole film. But it really works. Mm-hmm. It really gets you into the scenes. You know, you you always talk about how you use music to inspire the films you want to make. And this is one of the... I feel like I'm the opposite in that way. I like having movie ideas and then finding songs to match into that. And I feel like that's what this film did with mm-hmm. ABBA. And it just... Oh, it works so perfectly. And this film blew me away. I was shocked. That's why Mamma Mia is so good. 
It's just ABBA songs. Well, I've I've heard that this is a better Mamma Mia than Mamma Mia. And I wanted to say that having not seen Mamma Mia, but then I read people saying that it was better than Mamma Mia. So that's why I should watch Mamma Mia to confirm for myself. Mamma Mia is pretty great. But that's the thing. Like, I've... This is... It feels like a Mamma Mia... I, I, it's weird. I haven't seen... I'm not going to repeat Mamma Mia 50 times. You know, they again, had Mamma Mia on the other night, and I just, like, I just love Dancing Queen. So good. Such a good... They piece. used... Okay, so they used Dancing Queen at the end of this movie as, like... And they used that shot of, like, Muriel in the car, and it's like her... You see her face, and you you digest the whole sort of adventure we've just gone on, and it's, like, the mm. perfect use of that song. But um, I was shocked. Muriel's Wedding is phenomenal. It's actually one of my favorite films I've seen this year so far. Wow. And I really recommend you watch it because it has the precision of a Spielberg film, a very Australian texture over it because, you know, it was shot in, like, Paradise, uh, Service Paradise, like Sydney, Gold Coast, all that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, that side, that side of the country, yeah. And they have a Bali. It's definitely not shot in Bali, but mm-hmm. like that, they go to Bali for, like, their, I guess, holiday sort of thing, which I, I thought it was hilarious. Classy Aussie. Classic Aussie, you know? Don't forget your Tim Tams, all that kind of stuff. And this, this is some great moments in this. There's some great raw moments of just like, eh, screw it. But I think what got me so much is Muriel as a character, or Mario, she likes to be mm-hmm. referred to for most of it. I just, I love her character so much. It's, it's kind of like how Mia Wallace from Pulp Fiction is like, the, that character from, you know, 1994, mm-hmm. and such a great representation of one of the best characters in the 90s, I feel like Muriel was like the exact opposite of Mia Wallace, but also carries that same level of like um, power in that oh, way. Oh, okay. And I, I, you know, she's nervous and silly and immature. And, you know, when, when she feels rejected, she literally just cries like a baby in public. And I just, I don't know. I love so much of it. I, there was one thing that it threw me off. You know, in Us, you know how there's that one shot where her face is like weirdly composed like half the frame and it feels like green screen. Yeah. And it's very intentional. It feels like, but it's like really off-putting. They literally do that in this film, but it's not like, I don't think it's an intentional thing. Like they literally have that same effect of in the forefront of someone's face green screened into the, mm-hmm. into the shot. And then further behind them is the actual action that's being composited in. And it just looks weird. And I'm like, why? Like they couldn't find a lens to make that work. It's just oh, interesting. This really weird choice. Took you out of the moment. A little bit. It was just like, this is interesting. I don't think it was intentional, but regardless of that, I thought this was an excellent, excellent film. And one of my favorite Aussie films to date, up there with like Babadook and, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting. What did we watch last year? Bloody Hounds of Love. I'm an idiot. So like, good. They're all, yeah, they're all up there. I mean, you don't like Babadook at all. I know that. No, I'm but, not a big fan. But um, surely, but, surely we can watch Nightingale in the future and compare yeah, to absolutely. Jennifer Kent's new film. Um, and what else? I can just blaze through this. I also watched uh, Miracle Workers, the first season, which is that Daniel Radcliffe, Dean Buscemi, kind of, he plays God and Daniel Radcliffe plays an angel, that little stand show mm-hmm. that came out. It's not good. The actors try hard. They try and make it funny, but it's, it just doesn't work. It feels so cheap, dude. Like the production design, the way it's shot, it feels like a web series. And that, I is, that is a shame because, you know, Buscemi and Radcliffe are pretty amazing actors. They're so. great. And the whole cast is like, they try. They try and have fun mm. with it, but it just, I don't know. It just felt like they had 10 bucks. At least after the cast did it, they were like, oh, crap, we've only got 10 bucks left. Yeah, well, that's that's that can happen sometimes where you put too much money in the cast. And... Yeah. You know what's weird? Is like they, they, they bleeped the, like when they swore and stuff, they would like bleep it out. I'm like, why? They think it was more funny. 
No, I don't, it generally just feels like they bleeped out. It's like, why are you going to have swearing if you intend to bleep it out? Is it a mockumentary? No, it's it's like a little goofy sort of actual narrative that's going on. Oh, that's weird. It's literally every couple of episodes, there will just be one like F-bomb that they bleep out. And it's just so awkward. It's like, why? would Why mm. Why just not use an F-bomb? I guess it just didn't know what it wanted to be. Well, uh, the only maybe. the only other thing I really mm. watched of note in the last uh, week for the first time, I watched Bowling for Columbine, which is the Michael oh. Moore. Wait, did you talk about that last week or I this week? Have, was it this week or this one? I actually might have watched that the week before. It all gets... It's all a blur, It's a Jack. bit of a blur. It's a muddled mess. Yes. Well, I mean, you could talk about if it quickly I didn't if you talk want. about it last week, which I'm sorry if I did talk about it last week. We're going again. Um, yeah, I just watched it. I didn't have much much to talk about with it. Um, other than that, I just watched it. Well, I'll, I'll ask you a question then, if, if we've already kind of covered it or not. Mm-hmm. Michael Moore, like, what's your stance on the way he makes films? I don't like it. Right, okay. Okay, um... I think it's very much uh, a person that just because they're being intrusive, they think they're being provocative, but they're not being, they're not saying a lot by being provocative. Yeah. You know, provocative documentaries, they they don't work. And now that I'm talking about this aloud, I do think I did talk about this on the podcast <laughs> last week. <laughs> For example, you you got to take into consideration things like what we watched last uh, this year, Jake, like things like Tickled and stuff where mm. the confrontation is warranted. Whereas with Moore's way of going about things, now I haven't seen Fahrenheit 9-11, but I do believe that... It depends on the targets, like who he's targeting in this yeah, case. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for performative documentaries. We've talked about, even on this episode, uh, Morgan Spurlock's sort of mm. way of getting involved in his documentaries, which I quite uh, enjoy. Touch, yeah. But... I don't know. I feel like when you prod, you get a response, but you don't maybe get the response uh, that warrants the best result. There are some you documentaries might get the he wants. Though, well, we get taught thing. in documentary how to ask questions a certain way to not manipulate the interviewee into an answer, but hmm. to sway them in a direction yeah, where if that they, they don't realize, yes, yeah, and that's more a way of going about it. Whereas more tends to just ask bluntly. Like, he goes like, he's like, so what's up with all these guns? I can go to a bank and get a gun? What's up with that? It's like, he doesn't, I don't think he accomplished, he goes, in, in, in Columbine, he goes to Charlton Heston's house and like goes, what's up with you showing up after uh, this massacre? What's up with that? And Heston I just even know that, kind that he of just up. sort of, he just mm. palms it off. Right, so okay. we don't get uh, we get more like we get a, a as different an, response. Well, as an audience, we see that he doesn't want to confront this, but we don't learn why. We just sort of see him go. Well, he has his opinions. He probably gets paid a lot of money to support the NRA, mm. and now he's just backing off uncomfortably. So we're just watching this really uncomfortable interview. So we get nothing out of it now in that in that regard. So it's like the illusion of being provocative, but it doesn't actually achieve anything. Mm. You know. So, so I, I could see that being a, a massive issue for certain people, but also it, it, I guess they had their audience. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no. did you like the doco well, overall? Or yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much all I really had to say about Part it. Half of the course, I guess. Yeah, it was just sort of a. And the only other thing I watched in the last week again was Truman Show, which is oh, really. Yeah. Well, you did you rewatch it? Or? I did rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I famously haven't seen it. Yeah. 
I rewatched it, and Jack rewatched it too, which was really funny. We rewatched it. Oh, you didn't in- realize? Yeah, that's funny. It just felt like what I got it on a dollar DVD and watched it, and really enjoyed it. But that's all I have for watching this week. What about you, Jake? Fair enough. Anything else? Oh well, that's it for me. I can get we can get into career territory if you want. Yeah. Well, have you oh. got anything you would like to add or um, discuss career wise? I, I guess I can do a little tease that uh, with my the short docker that I was working on X Rental earlier this year, which is about three video stores residing in uh, mm-hmm. WA, you know, whether it's it's in Perth or, you know, lower down or even in Bunbury. Very keen to see this documentary. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm excited that you're excited and uh, I can confirm we're going to get a little bit more of a tease later this week mm-hmm. uh, through the form of a trailer and a release date announcement. So that's all locked in. Please don't hack my Facebook because then you will get a release date early. <laughs> but it's all scheduled to go. But, um, yeah, I can tease that. Is there anything we want to talk about Hitched? Like pre-production uh, stuff? No, it's, it's all moving along. We have Cast Lock. We're sh- uh, shooting in a couple of weeks. Very excited. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a lot of cool things coming up and new things we want to try. Um, with it being a road trip comedy, we're avoiding talking about too much of the on-set stuff, especially we will the scenarios and stuff when we shoot. Um, but I won't really be talking about uh, production stories until... Okay, so well we're going to keep it a little under wraps until yeah. then. That's fair enough. Fair um, enough. I tend to have now uh, receded a little bit on telling anyone too much about script stuff apart from... The crew and people yeah, in the know, really. Yeah, exactly. A very small group of people because yeah. that's one thing that I've already learned about a comedy is if you explain jokes, they'll you... laugh at the joke, but when it comes on the screen, they probably won't laugh at the joke. Yeah, exactly. It's because a hard, they already know the joke. It's a hard act to follow in the sense that there are certain movies where no matter how many times you hear the joke, you always laugh. Yeah. And that could be performative. That could just be the joke being incredibly clever. But, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone has the luck. It's incredibly hard to do that. Yeah. So if you've got some good jokes, it's best to save them for the Well, for the immediate screen. example I can think of off the top of my head is if, if you knew Ken Jong was coming out of that trunk in Hangover... <laughs> Completely naked. Yeah, exactly. Like prior Bef- to the... prior to watching it, you probably wouldn't find that joke nearly as funny. And you, you know, Todd Phillips was like pitching that to his mates. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna have this dude come out naked at the scene, and the... you can see yeah. that. So you're right. Now so... imagine, yeah, imagine if I told you I had a movie where a Malaysian man comes out of my like a trunk, and yeah. you would laugh at it. But when you saw it in the you film, you could have done that in Hitch. You really could have actually. Probably. probably. We did pitch, pitch it to Jack. Bit of a spoiler. Yeah. Didn't do that. It's a spoiler that we didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's all I have. I'm ready to move into our film of the week. So, Jake, what are we watching? Well, we had the luxury of going to Inaloo to watch The Matrix. so sure was real what if you were unable to wake from that dream how would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world neo believes that morpheus an elusive figure considered to be the most dangerous man alive can answer his question what is the matrix neo was contacted by trinity a beautiful stranger who leads him into an underworld where he meets morpheus they fight a brutal battle for their lives against a cad what can you help me say a what I guess a group, it's a synonym for group, of viciously intelligent secret agents. It is a truth that could cost him something more precious than his life. 
Uh, you're keeping that in. <laughs> I didn't intend to read that second half. It took 33 half. episodes, but we're officially keeping a botched version. <laughs> of... It's The Matrix. You know what The Matrix is. Yeah. Um, why does why does the synopsis feel the need to say that Trinity 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 is a beautiful stranger? I could just be a stranger. I don't. I mean, yeah, that's weird. That's weird to think about. Actually, it's not. It's not like he's he's struck by her beauty and that's the reason he follows her or anything mm, like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about this. We are actually going to talk about that so in particular. Let's talk about first the screening. Um, yeah. So, so this, this was, was a surprise. Yeah. Would you like to go through? What, what happened? happened? Yeah, so last last week, and like we we talked a bit about at the start of last week, how we just we just before the show, we almost like just sit here for twenty five minutes, just talking, you know, talking crap. We like to call it the cinema shit show podcast. Mm-hmm. This is our pre show that no one's allowed to listen to except us two, and we usually plan what we're doing in the next few weeks or whatever. Yeah, and I think it was your idea. So you're like, this is your Matrix. Why not? Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's around the 20th anniversary sort of thing. And then we get home that night, and I find through Google that there is a local screening at Inaloo two days later. Mm-hmm. Or was it three days? Whatever. It was later that week that they were screening this film one time for one the 20th only. anniversary. So For only 11 bucks a ticket. How incredible was that? It was pretty amazing. We didn't know that before making that choice. So we no. kind of landed perfectly. And, and because of that, uh, we also got to see a lot of the... Film. They do this once a month, or like a couple times a month. Yeah, they do, it's, it's periodically, yeah. Um, and we got to see some of the upcoming films that they're going to replay, mm. and I think some of those might find their way into an episode on this show, because Absolutely. some of them are definitely worth talking about on this show. Well, this um, was the same way I saw Pop Fiction several weeks back. Yeah. And how I experienced that for the first time. This is interesting, because although this is your first time watching Matrix ever, I've only mm. ever watched the first one. I haven't watched two and three. Neither. And... This is only the second time I've ever seen this film. Um, so it's not... And it was... The first time I watched it was two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was a very passive viewing. It's one of those viewings that I did Were not Were you give... studying screen at the time when you watched it? No. Okay. No, I just sort of watch... Oh, I mean, I was in high school media, I think. Or maybe first year screen. So Maybe yeah, first maybe it was. year screen, yeah. Um, it was a very passive viewing. It was like, oh, I probably should watch The Matrix because mm. I've never seen just it Just because you need to, yeah. Um... And it was one of those things that I sort of 70% watched. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you weren't I paying too much attention to it. wasn't fixated to the screen. There, yeah. were, there were moments I very much uh, tuned out because I'm not, at this point, was not the biggest fan of Counter Reeves. Mm. Um, I definitely think I've become... For his renaissance this year, if you will. Well, just in the three John Wick films. Mm. Um, I loved him in Point Break. Uh, that's pretty much where I knew him from. I love him uh, in Speed. That was the first time I ever never seen met. Speed. Man, so. it's a good, it's a good action film. Great premise. Yeah. So it's, it, I've definitely went into this for the first time with a critical eye, mm. more so. And you could pay attention. You're in a dark theater, big screen. Yeah. You can pay attention to it properly in that mm-hmm. way. Shout out to Inaloo, also allowing you to buy beers. Yeah, uh, that was great. Beer screening, so I got to take a beer in to watch. That was amazing. Yeah, I couldn't even do that in Pulp Fiction. This was the first time I got to do that. That was cool. And they had like a yeah. green room that you could yeah, go to, a VIP chilly. room. They had the TV of all the, the best Matrix fights throughout the years playing on the TV. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to touch up on a few of those in mm. this episode. But Jake, first opinion. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed it. So this is a lot of hype. This is probably the most I've ever been hounded for not having seen a film until this late. 
Wow. I put it on Instagram. I was like, oh, it's the first time I saw Matrix. Got destroyed in the comments. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed it. There's definitely... I had to take into account that the reason this film is so uh, cemented in pop culture and like it's a big deal and a lot of people talk about it is more so not because it was like this incredibly well-made film like mm-hmm. Jaws or something, but because of uh, all the elements that are running this film, like the sci-fi world and kind of the... I mean, Neo as a character, all the characters and the idea of the Matrix, the concept and these ideas more so than... Oh, and of course, the, the special effects and the, the revolutionary way they yeah. shot like some of the fighting scenes and whatnot. Um, more so than the plot, because I did have some issues with the plot, and I, I know you do too. I do. Um, we actually kind of aligned similarly, mm-hmm. I believe, on this stuff, but um, I can understand everything else is like very culturally important. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I said that, I was like, had a great time. Yeah. But yeah. I was, I was like in all seriousness, was still very much enjoyed by this film. Like mm. I like I said, first time I watched it, I was very much, you know, doing other stuff, kind of distracted a little bit. So yeah. sitting down and being like, this is what I'm doing for the next two hours. Forgot how long it is. It's long for a film. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't... Oh, my God, it's two hours 30. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. It's a long film. Um, it didn't feel that long I to me. I definitely wow. feel like I enjoy... The first hour and a bit more than the second half. Um, I yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, I love the first act. The the first act particularly, I really enjoy. Um, this film has a weird uh, mysticism about it, which I know mm. it's trying to fit into that sort of sci-fi ambiguity, which obviously our favorite sci-fi films often do with their original films, mm. and only in the follow-up films do they clear some of the stuff up but also lose their essence. I mean, I think of films like Alien where a lot of the things about the Xenomorph aren't revealed in the original in the Alien. Original, yeah. Because uh, it's not important to the plot, I'm guessing. No. Yeah. Um, and st- obviously Star Wars, very mystical mm. things with the Force and stuff like that. That's true. Most things people remember at Star Wars aren't in that first film. Yeah. We don't know that Vader's Luke's father in the first film. No. We don't and know yet, anything about the Emperor. That film is yeah. probably regarded most positively out of all the films, generally speaking. That you just listed? Just in just the Star Wars yeah. trilogy. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, like a saga and all of those films. That film is still, for most people, at least in the top two or three. But mostly... I can see that, yeah. The favourite. And Alien, definitely, I think. The only one that might come close to it is Aliens. Um like and, it's sequel, yeah. and that's a different type of movie. It's a little different, but Jurassic Park as well. How the yeah. first one is just so much better than any of the others. Yeah, but it's because it's the a lot of it is. I mean, they do explain a fair bit in Jurassic Park, but they do it in a way where it still feels kind of magical and mystical. Mm, they have um, just enough intrigue in there. Yeah, exactly, and um, it's sort of that genie out of the bottle thing, yeah. you know, uh, which this film. Does so well and actually it does. This film does that really particularly well. Particularly in the first act, it's so ambiguous what the Matrix is. It's very much like they talk as if what is this this mystical thing? And the dialogue, particularly between Morpheus and Neo, is so saying nothing but trying to say everything. That the dialogue's very interesting. This film, yeah, it's actually but... <laughs> honestly you want to have a fun drinking game with this film. Every time someone says the one or believe. My uh, words are what and why. And what and why were the two that you had. <laughs> and as soon as I made that realisation, literally the next two lines of dialogues were someone saying what and the other person saying why. Why? <laughs> and it's like, like... Jesus. 
it's like I have to believe, and it's all about belief. And I guess uh, I know a lot of people. I guess that stuff doesn't hold up so well after twenty years. Well, they're they're trying to draw like a lot of people compliment, like talk about it's a lot of like it's religious sort of thing. It's like Mm. religion parallels. Well, I heard that two and three get way more religiousy with that. Yeah, and they start to lose the essence of why we enjoy the films, Mm. which for me is still been the action and will always be the action. This thing. That holds up really well. We're yeah, about that, that sequence between, and I don't want to go too much into highlight scenes, but we'll get there. Yeah, choreography—it's incredible. Mm. And I found out that, and I love this—that Chad Stileski was mm. uh, Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix, and people who know Stileski went on to make yeah. John Wick. There you go. And it all goes back to the Matrix, all the John Wick stuff. So. Yeah, and I mean, it's and a, I could see that in here as well. I could see John Wick Matrix like kind of all well, mashed the, together the, from the color palette. Being yeah, exactly. Near identical. Um, it's. I mean, I I still think if I put John Wick one versus Matrix one, I'd probably still pick John Wick. Um, Just because I think not. Jo- I think the Matrix knows what it is, yeah. very much so, and that's why it's so successful with all the sci-fi elements. But I think John Wick has a bit more of a grounded flow to it. But I'd also, I'd also counter by saying John Wick knows what it is too. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, Despite they both know what they're doing, I think John Wick, in, in, at least to you, succeeds more because it, mm. it's, it's, a nice, it's a better flow. Well, it's impossible not to acknowledge it's a spiritual successor. Yeah, you know, um, yeah I think uh, so, in a lot of ways. Because there is mysticism in John Wick that's in... Matrix, you know, yeah. the idea of the Baba Yaga being this mystical boogeyman, right? That comes yeah, yeah, in. yeah. And even like the way they use the coins and stuff, and, and yeah, Jordan, like all that. You're right. There's like a different culture there. It's a different language, but it's sort of the same dialect. If yeah, you get what yeah. I mean. Like you're you're supposed to just buy into John Wick, much as you're just supposed to buy into the Matrix. You yeah. Know? Not every rule is explained, but not mm. every rule has to be explained. It's not it's not Inception, for instance. I mean, I I'm I go on record as saying Inception's quite not not simple, but pretty graspable. Yeah. And that was actually something I was quite shocked with. This film was that I, it was way more graspable than I thought it would be. Going into it, there's so much mystery, mm-hmm. and I and I, knowing the history of this film, I was like, I'm probably gonna have to figure a lot of the stuff. And like, but maybe an hour into the movie, he's like, okay, I've got it. I figured it out. Like, this, this is the Matrix. This is the real world, quote unquote. Here's where it all blends together. Here are villains. Like that mm-hmm. all was pretty quickly explained. Well, I spent most of this film being like, okay, I know what's going on. Yeah. Now I'm following the plot. This, and the funny thing is that I'm I'm drawing parallels between John Wick and The mm-hmm. Matrix. Yeah. But it would be wrong to not associate The Matrix with the original Tron. And there's a lot ah, of... Uh, I was str- talking about Tron uh, this morning. Yeah, and there's a lot of yeah. strange parallels you can draw with Tron because Tron also oh does the same God, thing. I didn't even think of that. That's Yeah, wow. Uh, which is a film that came out... 20 years before The Matrix came out. There you go. So it's... No, I it's, need that! That's my favourite line yeah. from Tron. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of Tron, I'm not going to lie, but it's impossible to not look at Tron and be like, these are the rules. Right, with the two worlds. Wow, I didn't even think of yeah. that. These are the rules established, move along. You, there's a lot of mysticism. They're not, you just go with it, yeah. you know? And it also has a fascination with uh, gods and deities, as mm. well as... Uh, a campy love story that really makes no sense. <laughs> but we just buy into it because it's a sci-fi film. All right, well, let's talk a bit about the plot and what kind of happens with this film. Because even though, like I said, this film's renowned for a lot of things, mm-hmm. not necessarily its plot. It actually won Academy Awards for Best Editing, Best Sound, 
and uh, best visual effects and best sound effects editing. Glad it didn't win best screenplay. So, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like all the attention kind of went into that. If we talk a bit about the screenplay, so first off, well, let's talk about the characters. You have Neo, mm-hmm. who I guess he's kind of he's us, obviously in this in this circumstance. Yeah, which is probably why he's so appropriately Keanu Reeves, I guess. Because because Keanu, <laughs> but he, but he much like uh, the main dude in Tron. Or, you know, you sort of are this player going on this journey. And Keanu Reeves' reserved sort of style of acting, mm. if that's what you want to call it. Some people would just say he's a bad actor. I think it's... Uh, it's I it's would, definitely a reserved performance in that sense. He's always been but, relatively reserved. But that's his personality as well. Yeah. And I mean, the funny thing is, it's like, it's kind of hard to call him a bad actor when he's been in, you know, 25 years worth of mostly predominantly a decent amount of good films. They're good films, maybe not from a screenplay points of view, but as an action star, he's quite strong. Well, I think that's my take. I'm not going to make this argument, but you could make the argument that Mm. the fact that he's so committed, Keanu Reeves, into into building into the action, Mm. because I was surprised. He obviously doesn't in John Wick. He's very much involved in the action. Mm -hmm. He knows how the guns work. He he knows Kung Fu, you know? (laughs) But like... Even in this film, I was like, there's a lot of long takes that just kind of let him and you know Lawrence Fishburne just fight. And I actually really yeah. appreciated that. Yeah. It, it It's definitely his commitment to action um, definitely puts him more in the school of less your Leo DiCaprio sort of character actor or Joaquin Phoenix's yep. and more in the school of your Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee school. That's where, a great comparison, yeah. Or Chuck Norris. You know, these these people that they, they're well aware of their acting ability and limitations mm. they know who they are but they're still going to define themselves as a good actor but it's a different style of acting it's action yeah you know the fact that he is so committed to go on i think for john wick 3 it was something like six months with halle berry like learning stuff to get parabellum which we've talked about we came, on a previous we, episode yeah, episode 19 i believe um, check that out how amazing the sequences and long mm. those sequences are. They take, oh, it's incredible. they take what the matrix did and they dial it to 150. Like that. I mean, as much as I do love that Kung Fu scene, it's, which we'll talk about a bit I later on. Fu. It's, it's, you can see that transformation. So he knows exactly what he, he, what he's going to end up being. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's why you've got to give him props in this film. Well, if we're going to talk about him as a as a broader actor, I mean, we got Toy Story four. He did some voice acting. He was fun in that. I've I've never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Have you? Neither. Okay, I feel like that's like the role based on what I know about that, the way he could flex his wings a yeah. bit, as opposed to the reserved roles he has in Matrix and John Wick. Well, and even in Toy Story four, it is very self aware toy that he is playing. Yeah, but he's a bit more bombastic in his performance there, which is nice. Yes. It's a nice change. But still, I think still possesses his John uh, his. Keanu Reeves reserves charm. Yeah. You know, even with the bombasticness, it's still very much like... I know there's a video of him doing the voice in oh. Toy Story 4, and he's still just like, whoa. Yeah. I have to do this. Well, he, I mean, if he's a toy, he's not going to have the flexibility in this movement. I which know. Is, <laughs> no, but I'm saying, like, it's all motivated. Oh, so it's, it's hard to comment on his oh, acting from him. that point of view. He's, me, I, he's, I mean, he's, he's one, one of the most beautiful men in Hollywood. Yeah. He's also no, one of the most likable. you're breathtaking. He's yeah. one of the most likable, too. It's impossible not to smile when he's just talking. <laughs> now, Lawrence Fishburne in this film as well. Yeah. What um, do you think of him? 
Yeah, the funny thing is, I like in hindsight, don't think I've watched many Lawrence Fishburne films. He's in um, John Wick as well, <laughs> which is awesome. Well, you know, Stileski's just doing his John Wick fan party. He's just gra- yeah, he's just grabbing his mates. Like reunion, guys. Yeah. Oh, there's a camera. Whoops. You wait until Carrie Ann Moss is in the next John Wick film. Yeah, well, I was. I'm surprised that she hasn't got hasn't yet, been though. in there yet. Yeah. You're well, right. they've confirmed Chapter Four I and Matrix Four. They've confirmed. She could be like the head of the high table, calling it. That's uh, not bad. Yeah. Um, bad. But, no, I, I like him, and it's funny. Once again, if you look at John Wick, he definitely feels like he's playing another version of Morpheus, like the homeless version of Morpheus <laughs> in that film. <laughs> but it's that bravado he gives. It It's so theatrical. I feel like his acting is so theatrical. It's, yeah. It's almost, and it's obviously a totally... Motivated Motivated thing. decision by the Wachowskis. Yeah. Um, but... The fact of the matter is, everything he presents, he'll say a line, and he'll say it with such gusto, and even body language, where it almost feels like he's on a stage projecting it, rather than yeah. subtlety, which this film does not do. It, la- it lacks subtlety. We can the say anchor, that much. The anchor of subtlety, which I, I really want to talk about, mm. is Hugo Weaving. I was just going to talk about Hugo Weaving. Because the reason why this film, I think, is gets a lot more saving grace and not as much scrutiny for its... Mm. I wouldn't... I, I'm not saying Lawrence Fishburne's a bad actor. I love him. I've heard, he, I've heard that the general consensus was he's bad in a lot of things, but, which I don't believe necessarily. I mean, he's fine in this, but like I said, he's very theatrical, very deliberate choice, I, I would assume. And Keanu Reeves is, is very reserved. Is he Gone Girl? Sorry to interrupt you, but... Uh, no, I think... Isn't that Tyler Perry? Oh, you're right. Sorry, it's Tyler Perry. Uh, that might be who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. But Hugo Weaving... My like Australia sweetheart and absolute legend and gun <laughs> uh, sponsor us seriously. Uh, this He's film, brilliant in this. This is the, what I was saying about my passive viewing. I whispered to you. I think it was like that interrogation scene. Yeah, with, early with, on. Yeah, with Keanu and I just whispered to you. I'm, I was just like, he is just amazing. When he walks and he just goes, just even just when, as soon as he says the line, Mister Anderson. Yeah, you're like. On the edge, of, like he just the way he carries himself. He's got that straight posture. He's perfect. Just, like he's dead. I mean, you can't really see his eyes, but like, but you could you could see through his when eyes his take, yeah. when he takes his glasses mm. off. You know what's up. Everything he does is perfect. Yeah, and I've always loved Hugo Weaving. Uh, I don't know what it is about the way he always commands a screen, even in some of the roles in some of Australian films he's been in. I love him with Jasper Jones, and it's such a drastically different yeah. role. Mystery Road yeah. is the mm. one that I, I've seen him in that is quite good, which yeah. we'll have to do a swap sees because I haven't seen Jasper Jones. And you yeah, should I can lean you to Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. Give me Mr. I'll give you Mr. Road. Nice. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I really I think he's the MVP of this film. And if we want to, we want to talk about someone that, at the end of the day, the villain makes the film. You can't which, get behind your protagonist yeah. if your villain's no good. Which is true. And it's interesting because I feel like Hugo Weaving's character here has very little character, but just his performance makes him intimidating enough to just carry the rest of the film. Well, he feels like a threat. Yeah, exactly. And if, in all seriousness, he doesn't really command being a threat until he beats the crap out of Lawrence Fishburne, mm. which is pretty much over well, halfway into the film. Well, I can I can go even earlier than that because he puts that like creature thing in Keanu Reeves's like belly button. Yeah. And that's a terrifying thing. I was like, "Oh my but god." But he still had the agents there, the other agents. That's true. That's true. Which, you you're talking about when he's alone. 
Yeah, this is that's the first time you really think. And then that Morpheus. interrogation scene with Morpheus, yeah. where he goes up and talks about how he's sick of this world mm. and he hates it. That that's a like a five minute scene, yeah. and it's it's it really commands that he is menacing, and the look in his eye feels menacing, and he feels like a danger to everyone. Mm. And honestly, for the longest part, you feel like they're probably going to win, which is great in a way. And they do, they do, they do that with the ending. I guess we can go into spoilers. The movie's twenty years old. You should have watched it in a loop with us, guys. You bumped into a lot of mates at in a loop. Actually, it's yeah. crazy. Everyone, everyone wanted to see. It. I think I was the only one watching it. For, actually, no, that's not true. I was one person there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It was all your friends. I don't, I don't know who's who. But um, no, I was gonna say you should have watched it in a loop with us. But um, oh, sorry, I got sidetracked. We we're, were talking about um, Hugo Weaving's. Yeah. Sort of presence. Well, in, in spoiler, in spoiler. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, spoilers. We're going to go to the fact that he does kill Keanu Reeves for a little portion of the film, which brings actually, me yeah, that's a good point to yeah. one of the most frustrating parts of this film, <laughs> which is actually I know I alluded to. I would love to see Carrie Ann Moss in John Wick Four, um, but she's also Surely the most she's... frustrating part of this film because she goes from being in the first Act. the Wachowskis achieve. Such a strong female character in the first ten minutes. Yeah, because she's the first one to get chased down the and thing. You go, oh, this character's badass. Yeah. Trinity then proceeds to basically, honestly, do nothing for the rest of the film apart from dress up mm. in leather and walk around. <laughs> Which yeah, it's kind of and true. And, pretty and much fall in love with Keanu Reeves, but not because. Uh, she fell in love with Keanu Reeves because he was a nice guy and they had a connection. No, because some she oracle said, said that they would fall in love with the one. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a weird scene, actually, with the oracle. Oh, it's it's frustrating because it's like he, go, like he goes, she told you what you needed to hear. But at the same time, it's like, I get that because if you get told the one. but it's If you're going to do a scene like that, it, you have some sort of prophecy being read out. They need to be correct. Doesn't yeah. matter how they say it, what they do, they need to be correct, and you you, you can't really get away with it. Just like, oh well, she wanted you to feel this way, so you would do this. I don't know. I mean, I it's a little disappointing. From that I, and, and it's wrong to say this because it, when you when you think, I honestly think a lot of this dialogue is incredibly childish. Sometimes, like I didn't mind it as much as you did. I don't think. I think some of it feels. And I'm going to quickly factly check the. Uh, Chowski brothers, how old they were when they made this film. Okay, that's a good Because it's an intrig- Are they twins? They are. Oh, okay. I think. Or they're siblings. Well, this, because we were talking about, I actually did a little research, and I didn't realize they both had sex changes. Yes. I only thought one did. So, yeah, no, apparently they both. They've now uh, Lana and Lily Wachowski. That is crazy. Which is funny, because when you go on Google, that's actually the first name that comes up, is their change names. Although, really? if you go on other sites, it's usually, you're right, it's just the Wachowskis. And they've obviously changed it from brothers, but um, I thought it was well, interesting. They're 50, oh, they're not twins. Uh, one's 54 and one's 51. Ah, uh, okay. And they came up with the script idea originally so in 94. Be... So this did, film took five years. Wow, so they were in the late 20s when they wrote it. Mid to late 20s. Uh, Wait, did they write it as well then? Yeah. Ah. Looks like, yeah. So. Well, they, they definitely directed it. <laughs> That's what we could tell you. Here on the Cinema Sarge podcast, we, we fact check stuff. Eventually. So, yeah, they would have been in their <laughs> mid to late 20s, which is interesting because I don't know. I think I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to sort of do a commentary on faith and religion and devotion. Yes, and, it was written by the Wachowskis. And I guess play into prophet, prof, 
prophecy mysticism. Mm. But it feels like scenes like that make it feel more childish because the Oracle's just going, ha, you're not the one, but he is the one. Well, it goes back to she literally kisses his, like, defunct body and it literally brings him back to life. Yeah, and there are hundreds of movies that do the exact same thing and we make fun of those movies. (laughs) But they even have better plans for it before the payoff. There is no payoff here. No. It's just a random action almost. It really does feel like Carrie Ann Moss is literally like, love interest, which is funny given <laughs> given that, given the Wachowskis' uh, events later in life, obviously mm-hmm. becoming women, you would think that that would mean that... They would have a stronger grasp of... Well, a strong characters. feminine character, yeah, yeah, which I don't think they achieve with either Carrie Ann Moss's character of Trinity or Switch. Who's the other female character in this one? Oh, yeah, forget about it. She dies, doesn't she? She dies, and she dies. Actually, I, very... I kind of like that they all just kind of die or die off. The, but then, they, then they really do feel like a cast that is essentially just there to be killed off. Yeah, uh, well, that's it's the trick. It's the balance of creating this cast, building them up, and then killing them off. And what effect does that leave on the audience? Does it make them feel scared for the villains? Or does it just make you feel, oh, they're dead, okay, whatever. I, How much I, do you I'm, care? I'm not going to lie. It was definitely the latter of those two right. explanations, Jake. It felt like most of these characters got maybe one or two introductory lines to be mm. like, hey, this, I'm this character and this is my trait. Oh, I'm called Tank because I'm big. I'm called Mouse because I'm little. Like, And we're all dead. <laughs> we all die. We all die within 15 minutes of the screen time. Yeah. No. Why have them there in the first place? Why was the do well, I Well, I guess in that sense, they want to build the fact that there's this little community, but it, yeah. you don't want it to just be three or four people. Look, I kind of get it, and plus, you need the one person. I think uh, it's Cipher. Is it Cipher who yes. turns bad and jumps? And I actually kind of like his arc. I like the fact that he was kind of going insane with the knowledge. You know, he says, yeah. "Ignorance is bliss." I kind of love that. Yeah. I was like, I love this aspect of the film. Where they I agree. Regret the decision I, they I made with the pills. I, I, if we want to, if you don't mind, do you have anything more to add before we move into um, maybe Harlequin? A sense? little bit. I mean, you can talk about the scene if you want. But the um, the scene where he's with Hugo Weaving and they're sitting oh, in the like, restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he goes like, you know, I know this steak uh, isn't real, mm. and I know what I'm feeling right now isn't real. Yeah. And. That like that annoys me. Like it, it's just a really good scene. Like and then it, like little lines where it's like, how do the like the AI know what chicken tastes like? Because like maybe I I kind of liked all that stuff. Yeah, I like that it, stuff. It felt like a it's dialogue for the sequel. Yeah. When once they've established the world, then they start kind of making jokes about it or well, discussing. It, but I like that they do it here up front. I mean, this is why I feel like this problem with this this ensemble cast is a lot of them are there just to be killed off. Mm. Just too worried. I don't mind, I guess. Yeah, but they're killed off in ways that are so, for two of them especially, incredibly anticlimactic. Mm. Like, Switch and Flip. I can't even remember what the other... Switch and ca- Flip. No. <laughs> I don't know yet. I don't know he's a. I think he's a Native American character. Uh, I would have to fact check his name, but he's the other one, and they both get pulled by a Cypher. Yeah, they just, they uh, just die on the spot. And they just die on the spot. And it's you do have a uh, switch, uh, mouse, apoc, apoc, apoc. That's, that's it. it. And uh, dozer, don't forget dozer. Dozer, because he's big. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I don't know. It just felt like see, at least dozer's death was kind of like cool. Like it's like Cipher was taking the ship and shooting the crew. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that feels cool. 
But the, the pull plug and one, I don't know. It didn't feel that intense. You knew Trinity wasn't going to pull plug. That's true. But like, it, it, they're trying to build that tension. I see what they're doing with love. Like, oh, boom, this one's dead. Boom, this one's dead. And we're slowly getting to our main heroes. And Neo was next. Yeah. They were going to kill Neo before Trinity. So as soon as Evie's going to pull it on Neo, then we all know it's not going to happen. Because Neo's yeah, the one. It, We've been yeah. ham-fisted that Neo is the one for an hour and a half at this point. I love I love that they bring up the one because this movie so reminds me of the James Wan film, which is also called The One. Really? Yeah, because I've never seen it. It's a 2001 film. Oh my god, my phone's died. Uh, it's a 2001 film, and the only reason I know of it is because my Spider-Man VHS tape always opened with a The One trailer from We've James. Done a lot and of VHS looked, references. It, in I know, this and it looked, it looked so bad. <laughs> I'm like James Wan, what are you doing? But um. It just always reminds me of that, and it was a very similar premise. Mm. It, it's, it literally seems like a ripoff of The Matrix. It probably is, yeah. but uh, that's always what it reminds me of. And Max Payne. This is so Max Payne, through and through. I haven't seen Max Payne. No, well, I, I haven't seen the movie either, because the movie looks garbage, but the games especially, like especially the bullet time, the slow motion, all those effects. Max yeah. Payne totally ripped off The Matrix, but I love it, because it's a video game, so why I'm- not? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, I guess before we get into highlight scenes, I wanted to. I did write a little note here about the duality and the binary thinking of this film. There's actually a lot of for a film of this magnitude mm-hmm. and all this like craziness with the real world versus the Matrix and stuff. There's a lot of duality, like with the the pills. You got the red mm-hmm. pill and the blue pill, and it, it's just interesting. It's like you have one choice or the other. Same with the prophets. And even isn't there like a dialogue with the prophet, like one hand or the other prediction? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, with the with you know either Morpheus dies or you die. One of you, one of you is going to sacrifice for the other. I, Much I just... like zeros and ones. Oh, on oh, there you go. I I came up with the Binary. premise. You tied it up in a nice yeah. bow. Congratulations, no, sir. Um, cool. So I thought that's where you were going when you said binary. No, I was just like pointing it out. Code. I didn't even think about. It. That's genius. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Go team. Got team Chris Pine. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Nice. And I also like that um the, the Matrix world is always green. Such a green tilt yeah. tint over it. With leather fetish. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, even in the real Oh no, no, not in the real world. No. They just wear normal clothes in the real world. That's why. Yeah. Because they wanna they wanna feel they good. They wanna be cool. They wanna be cool. <laughs> they wanna wear the glasses and everything. <laughs> Those glasses are so stupid. Do you have um any other highlight scenes then? Yeah, I, I'm just gonna touch on the one that uh is still just amazing mm. like it's impossible yeah i love you know in hindsight watching john wick zeke morgan hindsight <laughs> watching john wick the amount of how the amount obviously stileski appreciated uh the matrix for what it was at its time is great but i mean that kung fu sequence is just it's breathtaking and still mm, holds I up love and it's amazing scene, yeah and I, I i it's impossible to think that there is another scene that I haven't already talked about that really, like, nails it on the head. Maybe like as much as that. the uh, guns scene where the all they get all the guns and then they walk through the building, that opening oh, building sequence. Oh, yeah, guns, lots of guns, but I which I like, now have the reverse reference of John Wick from that line. <laughs> I don't like that scene in high, like as much, yeah, in hindsight, as much as I did the first time because it's mostly in slow-mo. And I, mm. I think slow-mo tends to take away or it goes between real time and slow-mo i never liked that sort of i always tie it to the Zack snyder 300 way of fighting where it's like they ramp it oh, and then they yeah, slow-mo yeah. it ramp it i've never been a fan of snyder's fights no neither it's, yeah. 
Um, I very much like if you're going to do a fight, do a real time, like the Kung Fu sequence, which was all like, yeah, so good. I guess if I had to, if I had to point out, see, I, like, I actually really do like the intro, like the opening with, with oh, um, the, Trinity getting like chased the, around. The rotation shots, the in pause in air rotation shots. Oh yeah, shots. yeah, well, exactly. Like that stuff, and even like her in the phone booth that she disappears just in time as the truck. I liked all that stuff. I'd love to. I'd love to uh, like think, uh, what the motivation behind those rotation shots are, those three sixty mm. rotation shots from like a story point of view or creative. Yeah, I because. I, is it her defining the system, maybe? Like, when we really think... Because those shots are amazing. Or, I guess it's her the... manipulating the matrix that they're in, or the, the space that they're in. Yeah. Because the fact the fact that um, Neo's able to do it towards the end, that's kind of like a big deal. And the fact that he's mm. able to dodge all those bullets, yeah. well, mostly. Um, and I think that might actually be my highlight. It's a, such an iconic scene, as mm. well as the pill scene. Um, I think, I guess, yeah, it's to do with the manipulation they have within the world of the Matrix. A- Anderson's death is really funny in this film, and then the two a- the other two agents like run away like the Stooges. It's, like, <laughs> it's actually kind of clunky when you think about it because it's both those two agents were like, yeah. yeah, we don't want to die, and they like they disappear. But when you think about it, it's like, but your AI, aren't you like? programmed fight you know I, I don't this know, is your specific man. feels a little it's bit like they're like oh crap we're already at two and a half hours we need to wrap this stuff up. <laughs> i honestly didn't realize it was that long yeah i guess i was having fun with it you know what i felt was was clunky the um you know when when neo's first initially trying to run away from the agents mm-hmm. he's on the phone and then he tries he tries to climb the building he's like no nah, i can't do this such an awkward cut to him just being in the interrogation. Yeah. I was like, what, what? Okay. Like, was well, it's him getting bit... loaded up in the car and then it cuts to the, has like that middle, like, ah. the bridging scene. But it's, it's I didn't kind of, remember the bridge. You are uh, correct. It is still, That was an awkward cut. I was like, oh, awkward, what's going on? Because it's like, why didn't they just catch him if he wasn't good? Like, that scene really does kind of serve no purpose. Even music, if they just added like a bit of a musical transition from that to mm-hmm. the next, of like, like a little down note so musically, you're like, okay, we failed. Because I wasn't sure. I, I thought he was like, I can't do this. And then he'll have a moment mm-hmm. and get the courage. But no, it just cuts to him having failed already. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. It's a bit weird. Yeah, that, I thought it was a little clunky. But well, no worries. Well, The Matrix is most definitely out on DVD <laughs> near, in <laughs> a store. 20 years to uh, check it out. You might you... even find a special screening in a cinema near you. Possibly. That was definitely the only one from Inner Loo. But I know Hoyt's are starting to catch on that. They're doing a Pulp Fiction screening. Actually, I think we just missed it. Late to the party. Late to the party. But um, you're right. There might be another screening somewhere. Mm-hmm. I definitely enjoyed watching it for the first time and definitely on a big screen in that scale. Yeah, no dramas. Yeah. Well, Jake, cool. what is new in cinemas so there's this a few, week? There's a few things coming out new. So The Naked Wanderer is something I mentioned uh, last week, but now it's coming out in this coming week. And mm-hmm. I mentioned it because uh, my friends at Backlot helped with the post-production of this film. Uh, it is an Aussie rom-con. A heartbroken guy tries to win back his ex by walking naked up Australia's west coast for charity, but ends up meeting someone else along the way. And John Cleese is in it. Is it Cleese? John Cleese? Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I thought that was really interesting. So he's in that. The Farewell is coming out next week as well, which I think that's the film I think Glenn was talking about with the Tony Ill. I think it's like Chinese student or something like that. Interesting. It's a Sundance film. And I think it's coming out. Here and also Little Woman, uh, Little Women, sorry, and Angel of Mine are out. Is Angel of Mine like a sequel to something? Or no, but it sounds like a sequel to something. It does. It sounds like like an action random mm. Now there's another film that's also coming out next week, and we are going to be doing that film next week. Zeke, Mr. Morgan Hind. Yes. What film are we watching for next week's show? Well, we are watching 
the most anticipated horror sequel of probably the last couple of years. Hmm. It, Chapter 2. I never left. I remember all of it. In the sleeping town of Derry, the evil clown Pennywise returns 27 years later to torment the grown-up members of the Losers Club, who have long since drifted apart from one another. Wow. Thank you. Hit chapter two. So, um, yeah, I believe we're bringing back Jack on for next week on this show. I do. Two hours and 50 minutes. Oh, sweet Lord. That is, that is off-putting, but uh, we're going we're gonna to go for it. And we were talking about embargoes, because I actually learned out what embargoes were. Oh, yeah, we were explaining week, it to you this uh, week. Following the whole Joker hype stuff. No reviews for it, Chapter 2 out yet, so that might be... Well, all the, all the Twitter impressions were quite mixed, from what I read. So that sounds... That's scary. That's the real horror of this story. Yeah, to have a film that honestly took a lot of people by surprise and was pretty entertaining. I mean, everyone was shocked at how like very coherent and competent the first one is. It's quite good and legitimately kind of scary. Yeah, well, you, you should. I laughed. I, I honestly think the first it's actually quite humorous in a lot of ways. I was scared I'll talk about it next shitless, week. but <laughs> uh, are we going to watch it together? I, in this film, I I think so. Uh, Jack and I saw the first one together, and we will be holding each other, much to the dismay of his girlfriend. <laughs> throughout the entire duration of this film. Was, did you watch it with Jade as well? No, it was uh, Jack, oh. Jaden, Kern, and myself. Ah, uh, oh, interesting. So what was Jaden doing? Was he just like on the corner? Yeah, he's chill he was with chill. that stuff. He had, son, he had his sonnies on in the theatre. Yeah, he was just chill. He was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to make you another song, see? <laughs> <laughs> no. He was thinking of more songs while I was watching yeah, the, exactly. watching the original well, it. thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with It. Chapter 2.